Welcome to the Deal Flow Podcast. Ryan, we're here as always. Podcast is hosted at 5wide.biz if you want the newsletter. Um, and I just released one today is Friday, January 26th, talking about my thoughts on buying versus building, uh, which I have a new book I'm working on coming out about that. But you're not here to hear me. You're here to hear my guest. Josh, it's good to have you on the show. Maybe do a quick introduction and let's get into everyone's, literally everyone's favorite topic in the world. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. Well, thank you so much for having me here on the show. I'm really excited to be here. A little bit about me in general. I am the shareholder of the law office of Joshua A. Lowenthal. We are a, a remote or virtual law office serving clients nationwide. Um, and specifically what I do is I work with small business older small business owners in helping grow and scale seven-figure business empires at the end of the day. And I do that through hold co planning, tax planning, uh, business, uh, governance, M&A, you name it. Uh, that's a, a lot of what I touch in, in my day-to-day. -day. Okay. I would like to get to hold co's. I don't know if we can. Maybe I can get you on a future date because hold co's was the buzzword, I guess, what, you know, maybe two years ago, it was like all over. Hold co, hold co, hold co. And I'm not opposed to Absolutely. It. It, that, that buzzword has died down just a, just a hair. Um, yeah. So yeah. if we if we can spend some time on that, maybe at the back end, uh, let's, but let's talk about maybe. And and when you're saying you said seven figure business, you're talking about uh, top line revenue, EBITDA. We what's that? Yeah. So really, I'm I'm talking about top line revenue here. So when when I think of a business owner that is as say you know two platform companies, uh, they are the sole shareholder up on top of. You name it, a C corp, S corp, LLC that kind of is uh, owns these entities underneath. That the total aggregate group is doing seven plus figures in total gross revenue year in year out. Okay, very good. So let's start with maybe getting into the acquisition space. And and you know I kind of uh, I think I, I I put this somewhere the other day that you know being a being a business owner is a career path. Like that is a, that is your career. If you want to be a business, that is a career path, right? Yeah, no, absolutely it is. It doesn't mean that you don't have to do work. It just means that, that you choose to be in the company from that spot. Okay. Um, most people are either W-2s or 1099s trying to, trying to you know, make their living, and, and they go into this space. Uh, let's just give maybe some of the early things that you see, uh, whether that's dealing with, uh, I saw a debate last night over buying equipment through the, the purchase and stuff. So what are some of the maybe sticker shocks that you try to avoid Letting people know, hey, you're going to go buy a business, three to four things that you probably didn't know about that you need to think about you know, right now. Yeah. So, I mean, the things that I think people who are going into buying a business, especially if this is the first business that you're buying, right? Um, a lot of it that the lawyers handle on on the front end during the purchase that may or may not impact you, depending on how you actually go ahead and buy that business, is the... Uh, how I how I see it is is your opportunities for depreciation upfront in the assets that you already have, right? So um, one of the things that I think about specifically is, uh, and I'm dealing with an issue right now is is purchase price allocations. We we focus on this so much um, early on in a deal, and it's very very important because how your purchase price allocations are um, set up. Right in terms of where we're allocating them into fixtures and expended, you know, furnitures and fixtures, 
goodwill, non-competes, uh, if we have liquor licenses or, or what have you involved, define how you're actually going to be able to depreciate a lot of those assets on the back end, assuming, um, de depending on how you're actually purchasing that business, right? Whether that's an asset purchase, whether that's a um, stock or membership interest purchase. Um, some of the other things that I think about uh, oftentimes are as you're walking into a business, um, the payroll, right? I mean, is, is a huge sticker shock item for people because they don't realize that by and large, depending on what kind of entity you're buying, that payroll takes up, I mean, the vast majority of expenses in a business here. Um, so so that's just something that, that I think of as well. Um, and then, of course, kind of getting back into the deals, right? Depending on how you're actually buying that business, um, there is always the potential for latent tax issues, right? I mean, there's a tax exposure that they hadn't considered yet, right? Companies heavily using uh, independent contractors, for example. Well, one of the issues that we run into from a tax side, of course, is this employee versus independent contractor issue. And if you're buying a business and you have a bunch of independent contractors, right? All of them are rolling over into the new business, right? As, as business relationships, as vendors, and they're properly classified as employees. That's something you're going to have to figure out today. Because if not, you're dealing with a huge tax exposure that you don't want to have to fight with the IRS about. Mm, okay. Taxes. The first company I bought, I worked at it my, basically my whole adult life. Um, and so I bought it. It was a family-owned business. So my dad was the previous owner. I bought it from him. And I'm owner for, I don't know, a month or two. I can't remember. And the state calls us up and says, hey, surprise, you owe us like $240-something thousand of sales tax. Yep. <laughs> I call my, I, call, I talked to the, 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 the accounting people, the, our internal bookkeeper stuff was all same, same team, you know, so I knew everybody. I was like, what do, and she's like, I never paid this. And I called my dad and he goes, no, I didn't know anything about it. Call our CPA. He didn't, and and it, was, it was truly, I mean, again, an honest mistake. And yeah. our CPA is like, well, I don't work that state. How would I know that? And we're like, how do you? And so the the worst part was that wasn't we got that tax bill down because of the way the, the stuff works. There's another state we worked in, and there was no way to work it down. And we we called someone else to say, hey, do we owe tax? They said, yeah, you probably do. So my dad ended up covering the bill, so I didn't have to. And I don't know if it would have been outside that. But it brings up a question. So sales tax is one thing. Um, yep. And and and, I, and I've read people say you can get the the Secretary of State to to issue you a no tax due, but is that actually the only thing you can do? Because what if they come back later and change their mind? Like, well, let's start with the sales tax issue, tax issue. Do you see that? You smiled, so I'm assuming you've seen this before. Yeah, it, it reminds. So I'm laughing because I've I've dealt with this and. To, to clarify, I, I work on both sides of the coin, right? So obviously I do a lot on the front end transactional, helping people plan for taxes and mitigate taxes to the best of our ability. I also do quite a bit on the back end, right? Fighting the IRS on behalf of taxpayers to reduce that tax bill, to solve those issues, to go to tax court, to make sure we get the right answer. But it reminds me of a story that I had once where a client of ours bought a bridal store, a bridal retail shop out of Tennessee. And it, to, to answer your question, um, what happened there is that they did not get the sales tax certification as part of the deal. And so Tennessee specifically in this case, right? And again, I'm not licensed in Tennessee, so this isn't necessarily legal advice. Let me just but, follow, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Yeah. Consult your own people. You ought to get it. Okay, good. Now we <laughs> yeah, can say exactly, what We're good exactly. now. <laughs> so, we're good. We're covered. Um, 
But Tennessee has a statute that's a success that has a successor liability for sales tax. And so if you do not, if the seller does not get that certificate from the state prior to selling the business and the buyer doesn't have that in their hands, their hands are tied. And so my buyer walks into this business, has this tax bill from the Tennessee Department of Revenue. And unfortunately, it's they have to pay the bill. Yeah, and 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 just just as a aside, I'm not going to get political here. I will say one of the states was Texas, and uh, the other state was New Mexico. The Mexico code was very clear what the taxes was. I think it was egregious. It was silly. That's a separate discussion. Texas's tax code for sales tax is a nightmare in some in some industries, and so um, which leads me to this question: We had to talk to two groups. We had a CPA, which we got rid of the old CPA because he's like, I can't do anything. I don't know anything about this. We're like, well, thanks. <laughs> so we hired our Texas CPA, and we also hired um, a tax attorney. Okay, mm -hmm. so let's unpack because that was I, I was like, I've seen these guys like we'll fight the IRS for you, which is cool, but I never actually had we never actually dealt with one. So yeah. when do you need a CPA, and when do you need a tax attorney? Yeah, so that it's it's a great question, and and really, there's a third designation in there that we start to hear from time to time, and, and it comes up. Um, and they're what we call enrolled agents. Um, so are you, are you familiar with the term at all? Mm, I don't think okay, so. so. I'm, not, I'm a registered agent, but you're not talking about that, right? Yeah. So there's 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 registered agents. That's that's a corporate term, right? Yeah, yeah, so right. registered agent is just who is your person in that state that can receive right, legal notices. But that's not this. Okay. Exactly. The IRS has a special program that allows, and the U.S. tax court um, allows for certain individuals to practice before them. So you can go in, represent taxpayers in front of the IRS, in front of the U.S. tax court with this designation called the enrolled agent designation. And so it's a series of tasks that they have to take, learn the law. Um, but these, in, once you earn that certification, you don't have to be a CPA. You don't have to be a lawyer. You can just be an enrolled agent. And so there's some of those out there as well, but I'm going to put that to the side for a minute. Um, the distinction that I always think of is that CPAs at the end of the day are certified public accountants, right? The term public is in the name itself. And that's very important because their job is to account for everything that has happened in the business in the past year. When you actually go ahead and look at the uh, history of CPAs, at how they earn their certification, right? And this this isn't meant to. You know, I, I I work with CPAs all the time, and I love CPAs, and I've worked in the accounting firms myself. Sure. Um, but the purpose of CPAs really arose out of early industry, right? And that's why we developed this idea of gap accounting principles, generally accepted accounting principles, to ensure that the public was protected when you had publicly traded companies that were reporting financials so that people could make investing decisions. And so CPAs, that, that is their job, is to account accurately what has gone on in the business and what um, the accurate financials are to both the public right? Through financial statements, through audited financial statements, and to the IRS. That is what accountants do. And so oftentimes I advise clients that if you are, if you need to get into the numbers, make sure that the numbers are right, that your books are up to date, that your tax returns are properly being filed on time, that your payroll taxes are being filed on time, you need an accountant. But 
accountants don't have a ton of training in tax law and their certification tax law covers only one quarter 25% of that certification they deal with a bunch of other stuff tax lawyers on the other hand right the way i think of us especially in the um small and solo context right at the end of the day we're business attorneys on steroids because we have business business experience, right? We advise clients on business-related matters, occasionally security-related matters. Uh, we do a lot of the M&A, but we also can put on the tax hat and understand the intricacies of the tax code, which every year gets longer and longer, right? I mean, now these days, I think the tax code is something like 9,000 pages of statute, and that doesn't include regulations, which... How that works, um, I mean, just quickly, is that Congress passes a law, that becomes tax code, and then IRS comes in and begins enforcing it. Well, IRS is a part of the Department of Treasury. Department of Treasury actually gives us additional guidance on how to interpret some of these laws that get passed. Oh, don't get me started. Um... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and I both, and I, and I love this stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um and I do think you bring up a good point there. Um, the, the CPA that we worked with was quite clear, like, hey, I'm pro the, the, the new CPA we hired uh, that was for Texas was like, hey, I don't want to talk about New Mexico. Like, you need to go get New Mexico. And we talked to someone in New Mexico, like, hey, uh, this is what we think you can do, but you need to talk to an attorney. And and it was a tax attorney. And I think that the tax attorney spot, at least where, where I've come from, is kind of diminished, right? It's, it's kind of, and, and, and to your point, it's not to say the CPAs, are or 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 good or bad or whatever. It's just to say that that's not probably their function. We've kind of blended the CPA as the tax fighter, and it's like let's that's probably not the best use of their time or yours as a business owner. Right, right, absolutely. So I'll, I mean, a quick story from a recent deal that I worked on. Okay, I worked very, I worked alongside the CPA to make sure that we got to the right result. But effectively, what happened was is that I had a client, you know, private equity client here in the U.S buying a foreign SaaS company. And my and so once the deal was closed, they wanted to inbound, right? Move the foreign SaaS company that they just acquired into the US. Now, the CPA is going to run the numbers. They're going to make sure that all the accounting looks right, that all the tax returns are filed and, and what have you. But where the tax attorney comes in and why, why it's important to have someone like me is that I'm able to actually go in and identify when when should we do this, the timing of it, what amounts of um, earnings and profits, right, EMP within this company is going to be taxable, how much should it be taxable, do we have other alternatives um, that are available for us? And because they talked to me, we avoided a very significant tax bill that would have been triggered had the M&A attorney just proceeded with the transaction. And yeah. so... Well, no, no, I didn't catch off, off there. I'm, I'm, what comes to mind is small businesses, uh, and this is one of my angsts on Twitter, about how we talk about, oh, you can go buy a job or you can buy a business. Okay, Small businesses are fragile. Uh, own one, run one. I'm involved with one. I'm not... I, I love them. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm also honest about them. They're fragile. But... And so the tax attorney probably has a harder time with his pitch to a small business. However... You know, if you turn on, you know, I don't know, Trump or whatever with his tax stuff, 
he ain't using his CPA to, to, to fight his battle. Whatever you think of the Cubs situation, I don't even care. But I'm just saying, like, he's got tax attorneys, Exxon, any big company is going to employ people to do what you're doing because the ROI is built in. And so I get the, the hard part for a, a small business owner going, oh, man, there's, but, but the upside there. So maybe, like, are you a money saver? Because you mentioned, do you help them make money on tax credits as well? Like, what, what, what all does, besides saving money on, on a tax bill here and there, can you help someone do? And, and when should, like, after you've acquired a business, do you review any tax returns as well? Oh, he got he's got a dog burger. It's okay. We all work yes. from home now, so it's cool. <laughs> all right, cool. Um, yeah, no. So it's 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 a really great question. So for me, I mean, look, it, in my ideal world, if I if everything worked out the way I wanted it to be, I would encourage business owners to get in touch with me before they even consider buying a business, right? Or on the other side, from a seller's perspective, it's best if you talk to me before you even go to market, right, and start shopping for offers because. I will be able to help you identify what potential liabilities you're looking at, right? What is something that if a buyer was looking at this, they're going to identify and fix that now so we can increase the value of your company, right? Because if there's an independent contractor employee classification issue, well, they're going to want to reduce purchase price. If we have an S corp issue, right? They're going to want to reduce purchase price. Talk to me. I can identify that, help you avoid that problem down the road. But on the back end, once, once you've acquired a business, right, and you've gotten in, that's when I really want to start talking to you. Because what I do is I, I mean, not only a money saver, but an ROI multiplier. If I'm doing my job right and I'm working with you and I'll, I'll explain, but I'll get on my you know um, pedestal here in just a minute. But if I'm doing my job right, if you're for every dollar you're paying me, I'm helping you generate in another five, right? It's it's this idea that my the ROI that you're investing in me is just multiplying your dollars, you know, multiple times over. And small business owners thinking that oftentimes they can do it all themselves, right? Miss that. But exactly as you've pointed out, I mean, you go look at your Trumps of the world. You go look at your um, any large Fortune 500 corporation. They have an internal tax department. And why? Because taxes matter. And yeah, so they, they matter and <laughs> they matter when you're paying them and they matter when you get audited as well. And so, you know, it's, absolutely. It, it's and it, no one wants that letter from the IRS. Um, I got one a few years ago and it's like, I called, I was like, oh my gosh, I called them and ended up being, uh, I remember what it was. It was, it was, it was nothing. It was a very small thing. Um, yeah. it, so, and, go ahead. Oh, what, what, what I, the, the, the example I'll hold up is, is the one that's quintessential in my mind is there's a, a privately held company, one of the largest privately held companies in the country called Dart Corporation. Okay. If you're not familiar with Dart, hold up a solo cup. Any styrofoam cup you have, just hold it up, look underneath, you'll see Dart. Privately held company owned by the same Dart family for 90 plus years. These guys invest in their tax team more than any other group because it saves them so much money and helps their businesses grow in the long run. Okay. A um, couple questions here. I know we got a few minutes left, so I'll make them, I'll make them easier, but air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, answer quickly. I promise. Yeah. 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 <laughs> asset, asset, uh, stock purchase versus uh, asset purchase. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Asset versus equity. Sorry. Um, how big of a deal is it? Generally speaking from a tax standpoint, um, 
I'll let you weigh in there. By and large, from a buyer's perspective, you want an asset sale um, because you're going to get a step up in basis. For sellers, you almost always want um, a stock sale because it's going to give you more bang for your buck and it's going to be quicker. Okay. Um, we mentioned sales tax. You said that you can go to the Secretary of State and get, get that letter to clear you. What about the IRS? Can you say, hey, IRS, does this business owe any money before I buy it? I want to know. Yes. Yeah, so that that is something that's typically going to be negotiated within your purchase agreement. Um, we, we talk about reps and warranties, your M&A attorneys, your guys who are going to speak to this a heck of a lot better than I will. But by and large, you should have tax representations in there that, um, number one, they're, all taxes have been paid to date. Um, and number two, that it, depending on how you're buying the business, that there may be a holdback in uh, cash to help pay for any uh, remaining taxes and throw it into escrow. Yeah, what is what is the best asset to depreciate? Oh gosh, that is a great question. Uh, I, I I actually don't have a good answer for this one. <laughs> I I mean I probably would say um, the. Uh, it's it's so industry um, dependent, right? I mean, I I could say, you know, heavy trucks are great to depreciate, right? Or something that qualifies for bonus depreciation, um, where you can go in and these days depreciate by eighty percent as of twenty twenty four. Some talked that we're bumping bonus up again. Um, would be any I would say anything that qualifies for bonus depreciation is the best asset to depreciate. Okay. Um... Biggest mistake that you see that people could avoid without calling you. Like if they just did the simple thing, they wouldn't have to call you. I'm not trying to cost you business here, but you know, you get no, even no, no. advice, they'll call you later. <laughs> of course. So from a, a, I'll talk from two sides. Number one, from the individual side, file your taxes. I don't even care if you can't pay your taxes right now. Mm. File your taxes mm -hmm. is, is mistake number one. Um, from a business side, the simplest thing you can do if you're running a if you're running a business that relies heavily on contractors, keep track of all of the payments to those contractors. It is a huge mistake that I see with small businesses, and it costs them hundreds of thousands of dollars in deductions every single year. Mm. Hold goes. We got about two minutes left. So hold goes. Are, do you really need a whole code? Let me start that. Do you really, or when do you need, okay, do you need one and when do you need one? Yeah. So the, the salesman in me will tell you, let's set up a hold code now. Uh, <laughs> but that's just because I love them overall. I think it creates a lot of, a lot of simplicity. Um, but in the vein of simplicity, I would actually say that get your first, I either buy your first company, start your first company, start making money first. And then when you're ready to expand into business number two, sit down with me. Let's start planning for your hold cup because it's nice to have a holding company, but if it's not doing anything, it doesn't do you any good whatsoever. It's costing you money. Yeah, it's costing you money. And I don't know the legal implications, but I know that certain companies, if they're not functioning, can lose their corporate veil and all that stuff. So that's probably a a potential there too. I don't know. Talk to talk to an attorney. Um, figure all it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so the final question on Holco's: You'll see people on Twitter who 
they have three businesses, four businesses, they have Holco. But I see a lot of people who have uh, their feet in multiple businesses. Is it good to have a Holco if you're like a partner in six or seven businesses? Just to Yes. Yeah, it, it, it does make a lot of sense that if you and what I tell people is, look, if you're talking to somebody and they have equity in three or four different businesses, they have bank accounts uh, across like five or six different banks. The whole thing is um, a, a tangle, a, a web, right, of we're not sure what equity is where and who's doing what and what you own. That's the person that I want to be talking to right now because that is a person that absolutely benefits from a holding company. Because what a holding company does is help detangle a lot of those links across the board and creates a simple structure that allows you to manage everything. It's going to make me happy. It's going to make your accountant happy because now. We've streamlined where all the money is flowing. We've streamlined the tax filing obligations. As a result, we're saving you money on taxes and saving you money on compliance because you're filing one or two tax returns instead of having multiple K-1s coming in and it just being a nightmare. And then finally, one of the things I don't do a lot of, but your estate planner, right? The guy who drafts your will and trust will also thank you because by creating a hold code, we're now also planning around probate, right? So when you die, you go through a process called probate, which is a retitling of all your things. If everything's kind of structured under a single entity, it makes the process of probate so much more simpler, or we can potentially avoid it entirely. Okay, great. This has been a great podcast. I'm sure some of this is, if you're, if you're in this space, you're like, yeah, I've heard this before, but you know, every time I hear something, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forget about it. It's so much for the tax code. So where can people find you? I know we connected on Twitter. So I know you're on Twitter. Yep. Uh, is that I'm, where we're pushing people to anywhere else? Yep. So I'm, I'm on all the socials. You can find me on my website, joshualowenthal.com. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn uh, or Twitter at, at Joshua Lowenthal. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really thankful to be here, Ryan. So thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure and uh, hope to get you on again in the future. Absolutely.